Welcome to Missions Now, a podcast about anything and everything missions through the eyes of the missionary. In this episode, we are talking to Isaac Wabomba. He is the pastor at Calvary Chapel in Tebe, Uganda. In this episode, Isaac is going to be just sharing about the ministry that's taking place there in Entebbe and the needs that accompany that, as well as sharing his vision for the future of the ministry there. He's also going to share the radical story of how a brutal cultural practice actually led to a genuine decision to follow Christ. So Isaac, tell me a little bit about yourself and, and the ministry that's happening there in, in Entebbe. I am a pastor at Calvary Chapel Entebbe, and uh, uh, by the grace of the Lord, we have been uh, so far uh, serving at Calvary Chapel, me and, and my wife, by the leading of the Lord for the last, uh, say, five years now. Uh, okay. We have served, and uh, we have found ourselves, you know, just feeding in the in the work that the Lord has, you know, called us to serve or to work in. And so, personally, I'm born in the eastern part of the country, and that is uh, uh, a region uh, or a district called Mbale. And so, that's where I'm born. And I grew up there. I went to school there. Then, uh, along the way, when I came to high school, university, I came to the city in Kampala. And then, from Kampala... I was part of uh, ministry in Kampala full-time. And then partly after my school, I joined the banking industry where I worked for something like five and a half years. And then I resigned from banking to be in full-time ministry. And then when I resigned, it's along the way that the Lord led me up to Entebbe. And when I met Craig, I began working with uh, the school which the church was running then. And then from the school, uh, I joined uh, uh, the administration at Calvary Chapel and TV. And then uh, uh, later in 2016, I took over the leadership as the senior pastor of the church. Okay. Yep. So, so tell tell us a little bit about some of the some of the ministries there from the church. Yeah, uh, the church. We the Lord has been able to give us uh, uh, people who uh, who we have also groomed uh, to ensure they can lead different ministries. Uh, one, apart from just uh, the, the church uh, fellowship that is happening, church Sunday services, we, we, which we do uh, every uh, Sunday, we do two services, the first service from 8 to 10, and the second service from uh, 10 to 12. And then apart from uh, just the Sunday services, uh, every Monday we have intercession team that is taking on for two hours, interceding and praying for the church ministries and the, and the, and, and the pastors. Every Tuesday early morning, we do devotions with all the staff um, uh, from 7 to uh, 8 o'clock before work begins because it's as a, the first day that we all begin to work. And then every Wednesday, we have midweek Bible study, which is also a full church service attendance from 5.30 to 7. And then every Thursday, we have community evangelism where we have uh, our deacons and elders go to the community, reach out to the gospel with the pastors. Yeah. And then uh, on the very Thursday, we have school outreaches where we have our staff go to neighboring schools, also do the outreach among the kids in the neighboring schools. And then every Friday uh, from 12 to 2 o'clock, we do hospital ministry where we reach out with uh, uh, the different elders and again deacons and pastors to hospital ministry to just pray for the sick and provide some of the needs they have where we, we have availability of what we can give out. Then Saturday, we have uh, 
uh, the kids program, which is uh, we call the the kids club, uh, where we gather kids from the community. They come and just be around church, and then they are discipled, they are fed, and then through that they are able to understand church, understand who Christ is, and then yeah. they attend Sunday services at the Sunday school, and so. That is generally how the week is, and then in the month, at least we always have uh, uh, fellowships, what we call the, uh, the the men and 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 women fellowships. So every last Saturday of the month, we do what we call fellowship Saturday, where we have uh, the men come together as men of the church and have a fellowship and share their needs and pray together. We have the women also have their needs and so they come together yeah. and pray. So the last Saturday of the month is a fellowship Saturday, and then. Um, we have prison ministry that happens twice in a month okay. where every, one Sunday we will go to one prison and then the following Sunday we'll go to another prison where we go again, share the word and then take some of the needs. I mean, some of the needs that uh, uh, the prisoners may need like toothpaste, things like, you know, food, which we provide to the prison authorities and then they're able to cook for yeah. the prisoners. Yeah. So basically then we do medical outreach programs, which happens the first Friday of the month and every last Friday of the month. So we go to different islands. The first Friday we go to one island and then the last Friday of the month we go to another island. And in this one, we go out with uh, uh, the drugs, we buy the medicines and hire the nurses and some doctors or clinicians, go with them to the islands. Yeah. When we reach there, we set a, a virtual hospital uh, in, the, in, in, in any area that where we have gone, so on the island, which will have uh, uh, evangelism team uh, speaking to the people as they come in. Then they go see a doctor. Then from the doctor, they'll go and see, uh, they go to the lab for a blood test. Then from the blood test room, they can go back to a physician, then go to a, a pharmacy where they'll get the medication. Sure. And then they move. Yeah. So in that way, we are able to uh, to have people, first of all, hear the gospel, but also get uh, treatment yeah. you know, for their bodies. And those who, are, who we find when they're in a bad shape, we always put them on our boat and then bring them back to the mainland and so we put them in our health center where they can be again given further treatment. Recover and yeah, recuperate. Then when they recover, yeah, they can sure. always move back. Yeah. Now, so these are islands on Lake Victoria. Yes, those are Lake Victoria <laughs> islands. Yeah. Now, how many islands are there on the lake? Oh, there are quite many. Yeah. There are quite many. And like I mentioned some time back, uh, we used to go to two islands every week. Every yeah. Tuesday and Friday, we would go out to an island. But when uh, our funds went down, so we, we, we reduced the number of islands to just two in a month. But believe me, there are many islands, and we used to yeah. go to seven of them. Okay. So there were wow. seven different islands, and yeah. we make sure at least we don't take a month before going back to an island where we have been. But right now, it takes us a month to go back to an island okay. which we have yeah. been to. And so it means that in that period of one month, when we are not there, these people have no treatment. Sure. Because in, on those islands, people are so many, there are no hospitals, there are no health centers, there are no, there's no even police. You know, crime is high, HIV transmission is so high, mm. and so many things happen there. Yeah. Very drastic circumstances. Now, yeah. are, are there some, some churches on these islands? Well, like the islands we go to, there's one where we have put a Calvary Chapel Church. Okay. Yeah, so that one has a pastor and it has a Calvary Chapel Church, so we go to it. And then the others do not have a church. And so they, they, the only church that we find there is the Catholic church, which is only, okay. the only church there. The rest, don't, no churches of any other, say, born again that we can find. Yeah. There. yeah so there's only one uh, Catholic church. On that so church. is that 
Is that part of your vision for the future? The hope to have pastors on some of these other oh, islands? Oh, yeah. So we are planning that at least with time, we want to identify uh, capable men, young men from the islands. Yeah. And so my thinking is to pick these young capable men, bring them to our church, and then maybe have them stay around and go through the school uh, school of ministry, sure. yeah, be trained, and then we will commission them and send them back to the island yeah. so they can begin small fellowships and eventually we will have a church. Yeah, fantastic. To, to kind of learn from you all there and then to send them out yeah. from and, there. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Now, the children, you were talking about the kids that come to your uh, Saturday kids club and, and things like that. Are these just from the community or are they... From the church, or the non-believing children coming in? Well, these are both those who come to the school, okay. those who come to church for Sunday school, and then others from other churches or from other areas surrounding the church. So we do not necessarily uh, segregate or, or isolate those who do not, who'd not come to our church. Sure, sure. They all come. You know, some still continue attending our church every Sunday. Some come to our school but the others may be actually without. So a large part of it is is an outreach to the community. Exactly. It's yeah. an outreach to the community. And then as much as a child can attend that program, then we are able to see some of them, you'll find that they come for this program and then we are able to know more about their family. And so through this kid or the child who has come for this program, we're able to know the parents and then make an outreach to these parents. Because our our, our thinking is, when you are trying to change the life of a child and yet the parent is not being reached out to, then this child may may go back to the same environment which he yeah. left home before. Sure. So we use a child as a point. And so as a point of contact. And so through the child, we're able to reach out to the parent. And then through that, we're able to identify if this child is really needy yeah. or do they really need help or is this child an orphan? Yeah. Or is this child, you know, having both parents? And so from the condition that we find in this child's home, we as a church, then we come up and say, okay, how do we help this child? Depending on the need. If it is education, then we can, okay, can he enroll in our school? And then if he's enrolling, can we be able to cover part of the fees or can sure. we freely cover everything for him and all that? So through that, we're able to identify those needed children in that way. And yeah. so, yeah. We keep them around. And so what would happen there in a situation where where an orphan uh, or, or a child who, who does not have a lot of care, they get older, right? And they reach that 14, 15, 16 years old. What, what happens to them if they don't have any support in place? Well, eventually, just like a, any other state that we, we have seen, most children who do not have parental care and who do not have the necessary uh, resources to be in school or to have a family or to have a belonging, automatically they are going to end up in child labor. That's number one. Mm. They will try to find something to do. Sure. Then others who may not see that will end up on the streets and of course abuse drugs. They will be all over just doing that and then become petty thieves in the community. Uh, and so from yeah. there they are going to become petty thieves and begin you know, stealing from people, breaking people's houses. And that is very common even in the area where we are. So as a church, our aim is to just have all the teenagers and the youth, you know, grow up in the church. And yeah. so we begin with these babies from three years who attend this Saturday program. And 
they grow in the hands of the church. And so in that way, we believe that we are going to try to reduce on these other alternatives. These the long-term effects. Yeah, yeah. Effects this child could have had. I'll give an example of uh, one of the boys that we picked from the street. He was sleeping actually on the boxes. He would lay boxes under a certain, you know, we, we have we have stalls where people, you know, sell tomatoes, they sell sure, yeah. Yeah, bread. And so they kind of leave their stalls out. They take away the bread and leave the stall open. Yeah. And so this young boy would go put boxes down and then sleep there. And so just because of being on the street, someone one time, I think he picked someone thing and then someone slapped him. And so we discovered that one of his ears was actually not functioning. Uh, and so yeah. he was deaf, but one ear would work. So this boy, we picked him up, brought him in the church, groomed him. Still the habit was there, but with time, this sure. habit got out. And so he grew up in the church. He learned how to play the guitar. He learned how to play drums. Uh. And so after he went, I mean, we took him through school. And when he, we discovered that he had a talent of being a good mechanic. And so okay. we took him to a, a mechanical school, I mean, a school, a vocational school to train in mechanics. And then through the mechanics, he was able to join the government, the army. Oh, yeah. So okay. right now wow. as I speak, he's a, he's a fully trained soldier. Wow. He's called Ivan. He, he's, he, he's at our church. So he serves as a Marine in the army and, uh, you know, yeah. he's proud to be, yeah, to sure. be what he is because he really loved to be a soldier in all his life. And through the church, he was able to attain that. Mm. And so I'm happy. And so many others who are, you know, who have gone through universities, most of them are, are pastors at our church who are boys who went through Bible school. They have come to serve. Others are involved in other, you know, engagements, others are employed somewhere else, but they all come back to church and find themselves much yeah. better. So the chance happened to them and they were able to go to school. So you really have a, a long-term vision for helping these people over an extended period of time. Exactly. We we feel that if we give someone a skill, then if they go out there, they can be able to fend for themselves. Our aim is not to just lend, uh, give a hand all through, but give a skill, like not just formal education, but we would love them to go after formal education. Can they have a trade that can really make them sure and make i mean and earn some money to to meet their needs in life yeah yeah because some people still go through from education and then come back look for a job around church or look for something to do and sometimes we don't have those jobs so we are saying okay use any simple skill that you have begin something or create a job be a job creator so that you can be able to to compete with others in life yeah yeah it seems like the Lord has really given a great vision for the ministry there. Now, for you personally, when did you feel like you were called to the ministry? Great. Um, personally, I grew up in um, an Anglican family. Okay. My, my mother and my dad uh, were typical Anglicans, and my dad was a, a full-time police officer. Okay. And so I stayed more with my mom. I grew up in the village. As a village boy, I, I went to school which was nearby our home. And so being in the village where I was born, in a village health center, I don't remember what it looked like then, though today it has been modernized. I know I was born, maybe fell on the floor, with just plain cement, and mm, then yeah. grew up in the village wearing torn shorts and you know shirts with village boys. I, I don't remember putting on shoes going to school <laughs> at that time, but I went to school up to... I think uh, when I, in the village up to around, uh, I think grade four, when I was in the village. And then we had uh, 
uh, uh, we had the uh, uh, cattle rustling by the neighboring tribes, and then we came to the to the city for the first time. So I was able to see uh, the city for the first time at the age of ten, and then I'm like, oh, this is what happened. So in that, why I'm saying that is because it brought me to where I go to find myself being uh, meeting somebody who led me to Christ. So I went to a town school, and then my teacher led me to Christ. But that wasn't the sign that I was called because I was a young boy in grade five. And then here the teacher leads me to Christ. And then I, my family is not born again. And my brothers try to oppress me. They try to say, no, you have not committed any sin. You are still, you are too young to yeah. be saved. So yeah. they would believe that someone to be born again should be someone who is 70 years because okay. maybe they have committed so many right. sins and they get born again. So I was a kind of harassed and humiliated by my family by my peers, they would laugh at you, born again, you know, they would call that name born again. And so at some point you'd feel shy. But then when I went to high school, I joined Scripture Union. And so Scripture Union had people who were big. And so there were students who were older than us and they were leading us. And so I got more rooted in that. Yeah, so, but my turning point comes when I go through a cultural practice in my culture. That's when God now tells me that I need you. Because yeah. in my culture, we do circumcision. Circumcision okay. is done in a cultural way. Yeah. Whereby you are involved in demonic practice when you are being, before you are circumcised. Okay. Is that you, 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 you are initiated in three days. You are supposed to be initiated. The day of circumcision, you go, you appease the dead. You go around each grave. You know, you, you jump around each grave of okay. your great-grandfathers or your sisters, whoever you have buried in a graveyard. You go around each grave and it's believed that when you go around that grave, you are, the spirits are going to make you bold. And so circumcision in, our, in, in, that, in that way is done in that you, they don't give you any painkiller. Sure. All you do is <laughs> you stand, you don't blink, you don't shake because that is making you come from being a boy into a man. Okay. So you're supposed to hold a stick, look directly in the face of someone ahead of you. Either you could be your uncle, your father, supposed to be your father. Sometimes if your father fears, you can put someone else. So yeah. your eyes should just face there. And for like uh, 30 seconds, you'll be, they will have finished circumcising you. But the pain you feel, you, you, even your eyes can go dark. You, you cannot see anything because you'll feel a lot because everything, you feel it the way it is. Sure. And that is what happened to me. And so at the age of 16, I was called for, I was picked from school before even I would get my report. My mom came for me. My brothers insisted. I told them I'm born again. I want to go to hospital, do it the right way. They said, no, we all went through this. We want you to do that. So they take me down quickly in two days, actually, because I had laid at school. I didn't even take three days, two days. They were preparing me and told me you're ready to be circumcised. So they take me all through the rituals. They take me around the graves of my ancestors and then here I come and I am circumcised. But on the day of circumcision, I, all that those two days, my prayer at that time was, I am born again and here I'm doing the things. If Christ came now, what would happen to me? So my mind was, if Christ came that time, mm. then I would not go to heaven. Maybe I would miss it out. And so I went through a very horrible time. I remember the, uh, the, I, I bled a lot that I almost passed on. And sure. Yeah, because the surgeon or whoever does the circumcision is also a demon-possessed person. Okay. He is not professionally trained medical person. Yeah. 
this is a young man or a man who at some point in life when he's growing up he runs mad and when he runs mad they will give him a knife and when they give him a knife and the madness stops then the elders of the clan will confirm that he's a surgeon why because they gave him a knife and he cooled down and so when he's doing the circumcision he does not know where the blood vessels of a person are all he does is he's possessed at that time his work is to circumcise yeah he's never had any training no training yeah. they don't do that yeah they don't anything about hiv they don't anything about anything to do with medical they are demonically possessed people to do that and mm. during the time of circumcision when he's going to circumcise you he's mad actually at that time he's possessed and he will be shaking so the he the spirit in him sh- makes him shake it makes him run that people will just hold him yeah. to be stable because he wants to jump and circumcise you even before you reach the the spot which is meant for you to be to stand mm. for the circumcise you so he people are, are forced to hold him back so the moment you stand where you're supposed to be they let him free and then he will descend on you like a lion so within those few seconds he has finished that and so whether he cuts uh, blood vessels whether there are many whether there are how many he runs away after that he will run away no one can even grab him until he will go sit somewhere cool down then come back like the following day or in the evening so i went through that so when i went through that i go back to school in scripture union so when i go back to school uh i went to pray in the chapel repenting my sins i'm telling god here i am i've done all these things and then good enough the lord had me Three hmm. o'clock the lord speaks in my ears i hear the voice speaking in my ears isaac what did you do you entered covenants with the devil you should hmm. renounce the things i need to use you why did you do the things get rid of the things so because the voice was very vivid like someone speaking in my ears so i opened my eyes i want to see who is speaking to me and then i discovered there was nobody in the chapel because i had just gone for my own devotion and then i go to the chaplain i explain a few issues he's like what is what is happening to you then uh, i narrate what had happened and then he tells me you are very lucky that god can speak to you in this daytime because god doesn't do these things anyhow and then he says i think you have a deal with god so from that day that's when my life changed and i began experiencing supernatural things i would pray i would lay hands on people they would get healed and i would wow. wonder what's going on what's happening with me myself i would get ready and then at the age of 16 when i would go back during holiday the parish we had a parish anglican church where i belonged at that time still yeah. i was leading a worship team of the anglican church and so the reverend would would now begin to allow me teach in okay. a church of about yeah. 300 people and so people began complaining why are you allowing this boy to teach yeah when he doesn't and it this boy is called to serve he is not like us who go to theological schools he has been called to serve so i begin to see myself you know writing songs and 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 having a zeal to teach i would not eat the day i go to teach in that church i would not eat food mm. until i delivered the message yeah. that's when i would have the appetite to eat so i just saw the calling was heavy and i kept in that though resistance from my family my dad at that time but i kept that then we began revivals in anglican church in my village and so the bishop who was overseeing the anglican churches chose to expel us from the church 
because mm. of the fire that we had brought in wanting just to have revival, teaching the word, leading people in the right way, just having them, you know, learn to worship and to pray. He said that is not allowed in Anglican church. So we were expelled. So in 1999, I begin a, a small fellowship in my uncle's house. Okay. So we sit on the, on the first, I think it was on the first of, 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 not, no, on 25th of, of December, 1999, we began a fellowship in the house. We began praying there. People came, added, added within like three months. We, ha- we were about 20 to 30 people. Yeah. And then we built a small structure made of few iron sheets, poles and mud. And then there the church was opened. And then I gone to school because I wasn't yet here, uh, finished with school. So I had the pastor come in. Then me, I went to continue with my studies. Mm. And so the church has been running to this day. And that's when I, I sensed that. So when I come, I finished school and I joined banking. I'm thinking that I'm making some money and I'm okay. But the Lord tells me, no, this is not the deal we had. Mm. So I battled with the calling and employment in the banking for a long time. For five years, I kept battling. Why am I doing this? Why am I here? Yeah. But the Lord kept telling me, I didn't call you to do this. Because I had written so many songs, I had recorded so many albums, and I was reaching out to people's, you know, ministry and all that. But the Lord kept telling me, okay. Now, when I went into banking, of course, my, my job became so demanding. Sure. So yeah. I could not do yeah. my recordings. I could not teach the word. I could not preach anymore. So that's when the Lord told me no. So I was promoted to be a branch manager. I refused to take that job. And my boss told me, how much is the church paying you compared to what the bank is paying you. So we began debating. Then <laughs> somehow I said, okay, maybe let me go and work as a branch manager in the East and I'll find a church where I can belong. Indeed, I went. I found a church where I was associate pastor in 2006. But still, I wasn't doing much because I would only be free on a Sunday. And so what I chose to do was quit the bank. Okay. So oh. I quit the bank in 2010. Yeah. And the Lord redefined my life. So I found, then I found myself all the way to Entebbe. And that's when you joined Calvary and then later on, yeah. I see myself here. At that point, you stepped into the calling that he had. Full-time for calling, yes. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. So well, that's all our time we have uh, for this time, guys. Our thanks to, to Pastor Isaac Wabomba and, and we'll pick up more uh, next time with him. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Uh, Pastor Isaac will be back with us again for another episode. If you enjoyed, tell your friends and feel free to pass along and share. See you next time.